What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect Podcast Show. My name is Paul Verzi, and today is Friday, November 20th, 2015, and you guys are listening to episode 234. Uh, I am very sorry this one is late, but um, I am in a hotel room in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. I had to travel through the night. Wednesday night, did late shows, got home way too late to get it out, so this is, uh, and then I had to drive here today, so this is when I could get it out, everybody, I'm really sorry about that, Um, but I will have one done on uh, Thanksgiving Eve, Uh, so it'll be a short turnaround, but uh, this is the way that it had to be, and I did not want to miss, did not want to miss one uh, this week, hope everybody is good, hope everybody had good time in between. Uh, I know that it's been hectic and crazy for me, so I have a ton of stuff to talk about uh, with everybody here on episode uh, 234, so sit back, relax, enjoy the show. If you guys happen to hear cars or trucks or 18-wheelers, it is because my hotel room is literally uh, on the highway here. One side is the highway and the other side is the water, so it's like a beautiful view and then a fucking... um, a view that just reminds me of everywhere, you know, in the city, just listening to cars and loud shit, so, uh, I'm sorry, uh, if you hear that, but it should be very vague, I probably shouldn't even have mentioned it, but anyways, um, let's get into this episode 234, but first, gotta talk about the sponsors, the Verzi Effect podcast is sponsored by GonzoFame.com, go to GonzoFame.com for the best, most in-depth interviews with your favorite comedians of today, established comedians, up-and-coming comedians, um, they just keep growing, Dave Gavry, funny up-and-coming comedian out there in Chicago, runs a great website, so please check it out, he's always adding people, and he does an amazing job, um, with, uh, you know, just asking questions to these comedians that, um, I'm sure if you're listening to podcasts and you, you know, you're a comedy nerd and you love stand up and you love your favorite comedians and all that, then, um, you will love gonzofame.com. So go to that. Also all things comedy, please go to allthingscomedy.com for, um, just an amazing array of very, uh, amazing podcasts on there, such as the Verzi effect and, uh, Ari Shafir's Skeptic Tank and Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast and Jason Lawhead's Lawhead's Court and uh, there's just a bunch of great podcasts on there, over 70 podcasts and uh, they do a great job with the record label, that's where uh, Night at the Stand, which I have available and for some reason uh, I have the hard copies, I'm taking them with me on the road, they're selling on the road, it's great, for some reason uh, obviously having trouble getting the fucking PayPal account on the uh, website, you want to know why, because there's always something fucking wrong with shit like that, it's, and it's really annoying, it's not my unacceptable, but it's just always like, things just can't be fucking easy, there you go, there's a chopper that flew by, um, it's just so fucking annoying, but, um, there, it's being worked on, so I will announce, uh, via, you know, Twitter, Facebook, social media, all that stuff, um, you know, when it is up and running, so, uh, I am sorry about that, um, all right, a lot of stuff to talk about here, so let's um, let's get right into it, uh, guys. This was a um, crazy week, man. Just uh, everything. Just you know, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, just a crazy week. Trying to get ready for the Madison Square Garden show, which I did, opening for uh, Bill Burr, myself, and Joe DeRosa, and um, it was a crazy week because my week started out being very sick, and it was. Um, I guess good and bad that it happened the way that it happened, but I don't know wherever you are in um, 
I don't know wherever you are in the country listening to this, but I could tell you the East Coast got hit with a stomach bug, a stomach flu, which was basically like 12 hours of hell and 24 hours of feeling like shit. And uh, my son had gotten it. Then um, I got it on that Monday, and I kind of wasn't right until Wednesday, which was also my birthday week. It was just a crazy week. Then my daughter got it. And, um, you know, I really couldn't do shows up until the end of the week, and the garden show was on Saturday. So uh, I'm not trying to be gross here, but, like, this was a stomach flu where it fucking came out of both ends. It was the only time I was ever literally sitting on the bowl and then while I'm sitting on the bowl, my mouth is watering and I'm going to puke. It was just, there was nowhere to fucking hide. So I had to deal with that. And I got dehydrated. I lost a bunch of weight because of it. It just felt like shit. Had to lay there. Then I felt a little better. My birthday was Wednesday. So me and the family, I'm thinking my stomach is fine. So me and my family, we go out to some Asian spot. And, I don't, and I'm noticing that the food's delicious and fresh, and yet my stomach, I guess, I don't know if it shrunk. I don't know if it's because I was sick, and I just, you know. But I'm eating this food, and like half of my plate was left, and I just can't even eat another bite, which is unusual. And then that night, my stomach starts getting fucked up again. So then Thursday, everything is messed up, and I got to start doing shows because I have, uh, you know, I have a big show on, on Saturday. You know, so go down to the um, city do a show, it's okay, and then I had two on Friday, and it was funny because I was like in Queens in front of like 20 people on the first show, meanwhile the next day I'm performing in front of, um, you know, 14,000, 14,000 people at Madison Square Garden, and then I ran over to the stand and did a spot, went home absolutely shot, and then the next day was the garden, um, the crazy thing about the garden, I know a lot of people wanted to talk, you know, have me talk about the garden and, and, and say, you know, just what, what the experiences were like. So I will take you through it step by step. It's obviously the biggest show of my life and my career. I got in front of more people than I've ever, I mean, in one shot than I've ever did before. Um, but the crazy thing about the garden, how grand and how big of a moment it was, um, you know, I really knew that because the week prior... Friday, like I talked about on the last podcast, me, Joe Matarese, and Bill Bird did the Wells Fargo Center where the um, Philadelphia 76ers and the Philadelphia Flyers play. It's basically Philadelphia's garden. And it was amazing. It was just, I mean, we didn't know what to expect, and it couldn't have been better. It was one of my favorite moments ever in comedy. And you got to kind of stand in an arena and feel what it's like to tell jokes in an arena. That was about 10,200 people. So fast forward to the garden Saturday night, and we walk in. Uh, you know, sound check was already done. The show's go, you know, supposed to start at 8. I showed up to the arena at about, I would say, I walked in there probably about 6.30, 6.45. And, you know, I get through security, you know, they... they you know, see who I am, they tell me what elevator to go to, where to go, where the green room and dressing room is, and it's just amazing, you see all these posters of like Stevie Wonder, they had a poster of Burr, like fucking David Bowie, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, fucking Madonna, like everybody of anybody who is selling this arena out to perform, and I'm just looking around, and I got my dressing room, and my dressing room is next to Joe DeRosa's dressing room, and, and then Bill's dressing room is down the hall, and we're just sitting there, and I walk out, uh, 
And the thing that was different to me, I mean, it was just so amazing to look at how fucking big and how many seats and how many decks and it's like the garden. And I'm looking up at the banners of the, the athletes that I know and love and uh, I walked out on the stage and the stage was so fucking big that like I could have ran, it would be like running full, like, like running full speed to half court of a basketball and back. Like you do fucking suicides on how big the stage was. And I'm standing up there by myself and then Joe Bartnick came on and he started taking pictures of me because uh, Joe Bartnick walked in with me as well. And, um, I'm just looking around and I noticed the difference is when we did the Wells Fargo in Philly, the stage was moved up a little, like maybe a little before half court and it was still huge. But I noticed the garden, we were all the way back. So there was only a little bit of dark behind us. Probably only like 5,000 seats that obviously they can't seat behind the stage for a comedy show. So like I'm going, holy shit, this is the whole garden. And I'm just looking around and, you know, I just made sure I was going through my act and I had every I had everything in my head. And, you know, I was I was ready. And, you know, they were like, who's going first, uh, you know, Joe or Paul? And I was like, you know, there was a part of me that was like, you know what, man, I kind of want to go first. And I did go first. But like sometimes people are like, oh, man, going first in that situation is so crazy to settle the crowd down. But the other part of me was like, no, fuck it, man. Go out there and set it off. Like let people know it's a show. Give them what you got. Like go out there and set off the garden show. And I had that in my head. And um, so you know, taking you guys step by step through it. Now it starts getting a little busier backstage. Friends start coming in, close people, you know, family. And and then, you know, there's a big spread of food uh, in uh, the dressing room where Bill was at. And there was like two rooms and Bill's room had, um, you know, they had the TV on with the game and this huge spread of food. And it's right next to, it's right next to me. And Bill calls me down the hall and starts showing me pictures on the wall. And we're just, we're just waiting and um, we're talking to the Comedy Central people because it was a New York comedy festival, um, you know, associated with Comedy Central. And we're just like talking. And the one thing that Bill always does, especially, and it's amazing that he does it, but especially for his openers, he's like, look, man, I don't want to start the show until pre- pretty much like everybody's seated or like 90, 95% of people are seated. I mean, I know it's an arena and there's going to be people coming in, but like, I don't, he always says, like, I don't want my guys going out there to a nightmare. It's just the kind of guy he is. So we talked to, talking to the Comedy Central people and we're like, look, man, you know, quarter to eight, the place was like half empty. So we knew it was going to start later. And now we're just waiting and waiting and, you know, poking your head out. You're just like hearing the buzz and you're hearing everybody in this arena, man. I'm getting the feeling back right now as I'm describing it to you guys. Um, and I'm just kind of walking. And then there were some times where I just kind of needed to be alone. And I just wanted to just gather my thoughts, make sure my T's were crossed, my eyes were dotted. And um, I'm looking, and then all of a sudden, 8 o'clock rolls, and they're like, all right, let's try for maybe 8.15. And then 8.15 comes, and it's still like, it's probably about 70%, but people were like texting and saying there's an issue outside, you got to wait, you got to wait. So Bill was telling them, let's wait a little bit. So um, finally, you know, now backstage is crowded, but people start filing out and people are waiting. And Joe Bartnick was going to do the voice of God, which means he's the lights go down. Everybody gets excited and he announces the show and which he did a great job. dude. He came out hard with it. But um, so now like 820 comes along and they're like, all right, listen, man, we don't know how much longer we could push this. And I'm just like, all right, man, you tell me. And so after a couple minutes after 820 or whatever, 822, 823. 
Bill and him are like, all right, we're going. So we all make our way to the side of the stage. And there's like a mic in there and, and everything like that. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of waiting to go up. And they're like, all right, man. And everybody's kind of like, you know, giving me, you know, what's up? Go get them. Have fun. And um, people are settling into their seats. And then finally the lights go down. And um, I got to shout out to all the Verzi Effect listeners and any Verzi Effect listener in New York um, who was at the show because one of the coolest moments for me was that um, it was basically like the lights go down and Joe Bartnick goes, um, you know, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Madison Square Garden. Are you guys ready to have a good time? And he's like, come on, you guys ready to have a good time? And the place starts going nuts. And he's like, you know, your headliner is Bill Burr. And then he's like, but, you know, um, your host this evening. And then he said something about my album. He's like, you know, it was number one on iTunes, number four on Billboard. And you kind of start hearing like little like spatterings of clapping. And then all of a sudden he was like, um, he's the host of the very popular podcast, The Verzi Effect. And dude, the garden popped. And it was so fucking cool to have like you know, people that knew me, knew of me, heard of me, maybe got my album, listened to the podcast. And uh, so if you were any of those people, man, I can't thank you enough because to go out in front of 14,000 in the world's most famous arena where a lot of people know you was fucking surreal, man. And then um, I went up there and uh, it was it was just insane. I go up there and I just started telling jokes. And the first couple of jokes, I started to get them and everything was good. And then um, it was just a, an amazing, uh, an amazing time. Unfortunately, there was only one issue, and I feel bad for the people. But apparently, there was just a little sound, one section as high up as you could go to the right, almost parallel with the stage. Like while I'm doing my set and I'm into it, I'm having fun. You hear like a commotion, and it was from one little, like isolated section. So I just kind of made a thing. All oh, those people are drunk. And uh, whatever, man, it is what it is. But apparently there was just sound issues and there was no speakers. So they were like yelling and then they tried to like chant, we can't hear you. And I heard that they were talking to MSG about it. Anyways, it was a quick thing. It, it Luckily it got fixed. Uh, Joe had to mention something about it. And then Bill, first couple of minutes, and then it was fixed. And uh, Bill ended up having one of the greatest sets of I've ever heard of in my life. It was ever heard, seen. It was just insane. But um I was up there and it was just so cool to know that my family was there and just getting some pops in that fucking building was was insane. And, um, you know, uh, one thing that was crazy and I didn't realize I didn't realize how sensitive people are to certain things, but I do a bit. And luckily, you know, I've been up a lot, so I've been kind of sharp and I was able to recognize it in the moment. But one thing that happened and this is kind of like a, you know, like just like a crazy kind of thing is I do a bit about how um I do a bit about how like you know when you have a family real world problems and things in the real world you can't like you can't really care that much because you have a family so I start to like go into that and allude to like yeah you can't care about real world problems when you have a family and then all of a sudden I realized like some people started pulling back and a couple of people were like no like like boo no and I was like, just like, not a lot, but like, I could hear that like some people were like, and all of a sudden it registered in my head, holy shit, the Paris attacks just happened. So it almost looked, I mean, most people didn't interpret it like that. I mean, there was 14,000 people there. Most people didn't, but uh, like some people were like, wait a minute. And all of a sudden it registered. I'm going, wait, what the fuck dude? Yesterday, 
a hundred and something people were killed and my brain just goes, well, you can't do that. And I just fucking total. And I, and I got, I understood. I mean, listen, I mean, I'm not going to go up there and fucking start saying, I don't care about that, but I just realized it. So for any comedians listening, man, even if it's not that people, when a big event happens, people interpret things and it was really kind of interesting. And I was just, uh, and then I went into some, uh, you know, political stuff and, and, you know, had a great time. Did, um, you know, did a joke about Trump, which, you know, the place went crazy and, um, you know, did a joke about the garden and how like the Knicks lose there and Billy Joel's got more, Billy Joel's got a 12. I said, how sad is it? I said, how sad is it that when you hear 12 in a row at the garden, they're talking about Billy fucking Joel and the place started laughing because Billy Joel literally has a banner hanging from the Raptors that says Joel 12 because he sold it out 12 times in a row. And um, it was just surreal to be walking up and down that stage telling jokes in front of that many people. Um, I got off stage and it was cool. Like the people on the side of the stage were clapping and, you know, my wife had texted me because she was in the crowd and she said like it was great. And, you know, people coming up going, wow, man, you just crushed and you killed at the garden. And it was uh, it was just surreal. And then Joe DeRosa went up. And uh, he had a great set, and then Burr went up and just, I mean, Burr, Burr was up there for maybe an hour and 30, hour and 40 minutes, and he had the garden in the palm of his fucking hand and just exploding the place. It was so insane to see. It was just, uh, it was one of the most insane nights that I could, you know, like, it, it was such a crazy thing that happened that you remember it and you remember vivid, like, vividly you remember moments, but then other moments you're just like, what, did that just fucking happen? Like, what just happened? How sick is that? So um, I want to thank everybody there who knew me, who supported me, who knew my podcast, who got my album. Um, what can I say? It was just uh, surreal. And I got to be honest, part of me is, is just it's kind of a relief because I told Burr, I said, dude, if you want me to open for you at the garden, because I, I knew he said that. He was like, yo, there's a possibility I'm doing the garden and you're going to open and I go, well, if that possibility comes true, just tell me a week before so I don't have to think about it. And, of course, he tells me in fucking July when the show is November 14th. And it's not that I dwelled on it, but, like, I'm traveling. I had so much to do in between. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, when all this fucking touring is over, I got to perform at the Garden. But it's all a blessing. It's something I never complain about. And uh, I want to thank Bill Burr on my podcast publicly for 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 believing in me enough to get up and, and do that. And um, I don't know what else to say other than it was uh, just a surreal, amazing moment and probably something that won't sink in to me for many, you know, for a very long time um, to, to be able to do that. So uh, if you were there, you had a good time. That's just, that's, that's awesome. So um, that was the garden experience. And then we went to, um, we went backstage and then backstage was packed with almost a hundred people, you know, family, friends. My wife was back there. Like the, our entourage was so fucking big that night. Just so many people there to just give you a hug and congratulate you. And it, the, the love was there. And then we walked to the after party and, um, just drinking and having a great time. And, uh, you know, I just felt bad because it was just so tiring and mentally exhausting that my wife had to drive home from the city and she said I kind of passed out on her on the way up. She was cool though the next day. But uh, that was the that was the garden show, and I'm happy for Burr man because you couldn't have done a better job. You could you couldn't have asked for a better set. I mean that would have been one of the greatest hours of all time if if people could see that forever and have it on on you know video. But I think he is doing it on um, on an album, so people will be able to hear it. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I remember when I <laughs> one one of my opening jokes when I got out there, as I said, you know, it's amazing to be here, be from New York and be at MSG. I said last night, I <laughs> same thing I said in Philly, and it really was true both times. But how weird is that, that both times I did an arena the night before I performed in a tiny club in Queens in front of like 19 to 20 people. And I said that and, and you know, and it was like, I, I wouldn't have said it twice, I don't think, if I didn't do it twice, but I did it. And that got a nice laugh and it was a good icebreaker and we just had a good time. So, um, yeah, I don't, that that's, I don't know what else, you know, I can't, and comedy is so funny and comedy is so fickle. And the reality of comedy is after I did that show, my next show was Monday. I had Sunday off and just relaxed and watched the fucking heartbreaking Giants game with the Patriots. And then on Monday, I performed literally in this like tiny little room. And uh, and that's comedy. You know, one night you're in a fucking arena. The next night you could be in a nice comedy club. The next night you could be in front of 15 people. But it's all about just having fun and working out jokes and getting better. So um, there you have it, guys. That was the Madison Square Garden experience. And, um, you know, I was happy that my mom could be there. And my mom said something which was amazing where, you know, I almost lost my mom to uh, cancer. She was in stage four cancer in the uh, late 90s. She got diagnosed in 97. Things were looking bad by like 99, 2000. And then the Dana-Farber Institute in Boston, not far from where I am now, kind of saved her life. And she said something where she was so proud of me and that I did great and that she's gr- glad that she's around and alive to see to see this. And uh, that, that meant the world to me, you know, because there was a, a really good chance that my mom, if it wasn't for this medicine, my mom would be gone for years now, you know. And um, to have my mom sitting in Madison Square Garden, uh, Jesus, it was amazing. And just for to her to say those those things I'm so proud of my son and I could be here to see this uh yeah it's just crazy so um meant a lot you know have my siblings there and um you know I uh I could tell you this guys and I'm not trying to get sentimental I'm not trying to get corny but I want to be real with you and then uh, don't worry I'll get to the funny after but uh, um if you really want something and you love something and you put your fucking heart into it, man, what can happen is amazing. And you could exceed, you know, you could exceed what you what you think. It's like you have to understand it. You have to believe it. You have to want it and you have to work for it. But when you do and it's really there, like when people say when you were a kid, oh, you could do anything you want. You could be anything you want to be. That really is true. Um, unfortunately, some people don't know what they want. Some people, you know, find it too late and that, that does happen. But if you have a passion for something, man, and you put all of it in and you fucking believe in it and you work it and you want to fucking do it, man, you can do it. Anything is possible. It really is. And, um, I'm proof of that because I started out in people's living rooms and standing on fucking soda crates in bars in Jersey while people are eating fucking chicken parm. I'm yelling over them and I'm doing all this and that and, um, you know, just slowly building it, building it. And to be able to have the best comedian in the world put the trust in me to open for him at Madison Square Garden uh, is just amazing. And now I'm, I'm here in Providence headline in the Comedy Connection this weekend, and I'm just trying to get better, get the new hour, and, and keep going. So follow your dreams. That's the point. Follow your dreams because amazing things can happen when you do.
Um, now, I'm going to get into my unacceptables. Then I'm going to get to your guys' unacceptables. All right? And my unacceptables, my unacceptable, I should say, is I'm in a hotel right now, and I had to, and I'm not making this up. Okay? I drove last night. I did, oh, by the way, unbelievable shout out I have to give to the amazing people at the Cabot Comedy Club in Chicopee, Massachusetts. So, for you people that don't know, there is a comedy club in Chicopee, Massachusetts that they only do it every Thursday. It's a bar, and then on the side of the bar is a private room, which is an amazing comedy club, low ceilings, um, very great little intimate stage. The people are right on top of you. And... uh, it was amazing last night. They had to add chairs, and it was standing room only. And I said, I said, I want the record. I don't care how many people come here. I just want the record. And uh, they said that I got it because they couldn't add any more chairs or any more people. It was standing room only. I had an absolute fucking blast. There was this drunk woman, older woman, and I felt bad because her daughter was the bartender, but she was so drunk, and I just had to fucking... I mean, I was going back and forth with her, laying into her, and, and you know, people were going nuts, and it was so much fun. It was all in good fun. And such a great time. It was their one-year anniversary. And the coolest part about it was before it opened up as a comedy club, I was there. Shout-out to Marty Caproni who put it together. Me, Joe Bartnick, the owner of the place, Paul. Shout-out to him. He's great. And uh, Marty, we're all talking, and we're looking in the room. And uh, we were smoking a cigar back there. I'm like, yeah, man, we're thinking about making this. We did a comedy show here. We're going to make it a club. And me and Bartnick were like, hey, we'll do it. Uh, Whenever it comes, let us know. Bartnick did it months ago. And then I did it last night. Standing room only, it was amazing on the year anniversary, and it was a great time. So it was only about an hour and 20 minutes to Providence. So I stayed there last night to drive out here to headline this weekend. And I finally get here, and I just want to check into my hotel and relax before tonight's 8 o'clock show. Just want to chill. And I get to my hotel, and I realize as I check in, fuck, I left my cell phone in the car. So... I check in, I get my room, I'm tired, I have to take a piss because I was drinking all kinds of coffee and water, and I just want to go to my room, and I'm like, fuck, I got to go back out to the parking lot and get my phone. Don't worry, the unacceptable is coming. I get my phone, I come back, I get my key, I go up to my floor, key doesn't work. I put it in, and the fucking dot starts blinking red. I take the other key, I put it in, the dot starts blinking red. So I wait a second, I try it again, it wasn't near my cell phone. I have to go downstairs. I go downstairs. I go, these keys don't work. Now I'm a little annoyed. because I'm sorry. I'll fuck. They don't give a fuck. They don't care. I put it back in. And uh, she gives me she gives me two more keys. I go back upstairs a second time. Red dot blinking. Take the other key. Put it in. Red dot blinking. Now I'm multiple floors up. So now again, have to piss. I already, <clears throat> excuse me. I already had to go. I already had to go and get my phone. Now I had to go downstairs because it didn't work the first time. Went back upstairs a second time. Didn't work again. Now I'm down there for the third fucking time. My bladder's about to fucking explode. Okay? Unacceptable. And I go, and they're just like, oh, I guess I'll change the room. They give me another room. I go back up a third time. First key, dot starts blinking red. Second key, dot starts blinking red. I'm losing it. And I just, there was a lady cleaning the room across the hall. And I go, excuse me, ma'am, is there anything? And she goes, I mean, no, I cannot. I cannot, Benny. 
I can I and I was like, well, you can't speak English. She goes, no, no, I cannot open door me. I can me I cannot open door me. And all of a sudden, this guy comes down. He goes, I can help you. And he doesn't look like an employee. He goes, I work here. The guy looked like he was off the street. I was like, what the fuck? He goes, I can help. Yeah. So he takes the key. First key starts blinking red. And I'm going, this is the third time. And then finally, the second key, he put it in slow, took it out, and it went green for a second, and then didn't work. And he goes, oh, there's something wrong with the fucking door here. And I'm just thinking, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then finally, well, like, what's wrong with you people? Fix the... F-. So then finally, it goes in, and he, like, jiggles the door and opens it. And I was like, all right, I guess that's the key that works. And he goes, yeah. He goes, you may just have to play with the door. I go, thank you. I close the door. I fucking lock. I lock everything. And now I'm in my room. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's 2015. How many issues do you have to have with a hotel key? And don't tell me, oh, it was near the cell phone. What the fuck does that mean? All right? It's 2015. There should be a fucking voice activator or put your thumb in. I don't give a fuck. It's just I don't want to go downstairs again. Unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. All right, here's another thing about the hotels that I don't like. Especially, now I'm staying in a decent hotel, but especially when you go to a fucking hotel that's like not crazy money because it's only going to be one night and you're going to get there at two in the morning and you only want to just go to sleep. It's like, okay, yeah, it's not that expensive, but we're going to hold $200 on your card. It's like, listen, if I could afford for you to fucking do that, I wouldn't be staying here. How about you don't fucking hold it and I'm not going to watch a movie? How about that? Or how about if you see that I fucking do you guys fucking tell me when I come downstairs. I, I It's unacceptable how these hotels work. It's like, oh yeah, the room's only 200 bucks, but we're going to hold another 200. So it's like, then the room is 400 fucking dollars. All right? And you know something? That fucking, you guys should let people watch movies for free with all the problems they have putting the fucking key in the door. How about that? Unacceptable. Fucking 2015, I should never have to worry about. And what if you go up on the 15th floor and you're sitting in the elevator for five fucking minutes going up and down? Unacceptable. That's my unacceptable. Hotel people, get your shit together. You got to stay in a fucking, you know, Fairmont for fucking $700 a night to have a, a, a room work. All right. That's my unacceptable, everybody. Here we go. If we are cl- cruising... Cruising through TVE episode two, 234, and let's get to your guys' unacceptables. Thanks for writing in. Again, if you want any of your unacceptables to be read uh, on the show and uh, your name called out and all that stuff, please go to unacceptablesfortve at gmail.com. And guys, unacceptables is with an A, not an E, Okay. Unacceptables. Here we go. Uh, this one is from James Mengad. And he says, To last week's unacceptable about homeless people with pets. Unacceptable. People who can't act with empathy and understand that those dogs are often the only source of love homeless people have around them. I come from Montreal where winters are absolutely brutal. The temperatures uh, can get as low as minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. The heat from the dog's fur is often the only thing preventing the homeless person sleeping in a thin sleeping bag to die from freezing. Many homeless people commit small crimes that will put them in prison cell for a few months just long enough to go through the winter in a heated building with free food uh, shoplifting. Okay, other homeless people prefer to be honest, brave uh, the winter with their companion as the only source of heat they can get. 
I understand animal rights, but I doubt that homeless people walk into all pet stores across the nation and buy dogs full price. If you ask me, I'd see a homeless person. Uh, I'd rather see a homeless person who is high on joy from his dog's company than high on. Okay, I get it. Illiquid substance. Thanks for the podcast. Keep it up. P.S. Uh, what I enjoy the most about your podcast is to listen to your stories and then wait for Bill Burr's podcast and listen to the same story with his perspective. Um, it's almost Tarantino-like, James. Well, James, here you go. Um, I'll say this. I understand what you're saying. Um, I don't think... I think it's... I don't think every homeless person's intention is to use it as sympathy to get money and they don't care about the pet. I don't believe that. However, if I see a homeless guy with like two fucking kittens, okay, they couldn't even be fucking earmuffs for him. So, you know, the kitten's sitting there fucking shaking, freezing. You know, the guy should have, or woman, the the, the man or, or, or woman should have the fucking thing to try to make the, 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 the cat's... You know, now, and also, if there's a big fucking dog and the guy's sleeping on him, I get it, but I'm just thinking about, you know, if you do give this guy money, how much of that money is going for the dog to eat and be healthy? Because there's a lot of health issues with dogs that live in nice homes that are warm, and now you got a dog fucking sleeping under the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, obviously not going to the vet, and um, even if it is for companionship, and, and again, dude, I hear what you're saying. You make a good point. You'd rather have them do that than, than buy drugs. But if, you know, if the homeless guy doesn't have, you know, money, like the dog's probably not getting the best health care either. So I think, I, I think there's, um, you know, both sides to the argument, and I appreciate you uh, doing that. And, and again, I do agree that not every person with that, but I also think it is a tact- I, I think it is a little bit of a, a tactic for some for some of them. But uh, thank you, and I appreciate the support. Next one is from Gary Lee. Gary Lee says, "Hey Paul, uh, thanks for all you do. Your podcast helps me get through my weekly commute." on the nasty trains here in San Francisco. Well, I'm glad it does. Here's my workplace unacceptable. When you're at work and you have to take a brutal dump, but there are people chatting by the bathrooms, if you're in there for longer than five minutes, everybody knows you took a dump. I don't want anyone to know that I just spent the last 15 minutes uh, dropping the kids off in the pool. We have conference rooms you can use to talk in. Get the hell out of here. Of course, I'm writing this while on the that's hilarious while on the pot with my coworkers chatting it up outside uh, hashtag unacceptable thank you gary yeah it's like listen it's already hard to take a shit in peace at work the last thing you want to do is take a shit while your coworkers are sitting there talking about the football game that happened and you got to kind of walk in there quietly and uh and feel like a dick that everybody knows what you're doing so thank you for the um thank you for the uh submission Okay, here we go. It's from Josh Innocent. Hey, Paul, here's an unacceptable for you. I tried to keep it as short as possible. This actually took place in summer, but I just remembered it now and had to share it with you. My brother and I were driving to the supermarket and were caught in Country Fest uh, traffic, which is a yearly concert uh, once a weekend in the summer where all of these country musicians play at Gillette Stadium. As we live in Massachusetts, Country Fest tends to attract the highest order of animals from all over New England. Well, we were sitting in traffic, stuck bumper to bumper, when we saw a blonde chick brushing her teeth in a pickup truck with her boyfriend. 
She then opened the car door and spit out the <laughs> spit out the toothpaste and this nasty, frothy, thick stream of toothpaste slobber spewed out. My brother and I <clears throat> stopped our conversation and had a horrified expression as we couldn't believe that this filthy hog hoggoblin <laughs> hobgoblin, I'm sorry. Uh, would brush her teeth openly and slobber all over the road at 12.38 p.m. in the afternoon. The best part was after she did it, she looked back and made direct eye contact with the both of us and gave us the dirtiest look as she was guilty for getting caught looking like a slob but angry <clears throat> at the same time. You would think that that would deter her from doing it again. But then she continued brushing, spat out the same discharge a second time. Completely unacceptable. Some animals can't be caged. Some need to be hogtied and locked <laughs> in a barn. Barn them up. By the way, I'm looking forward to seeing you and roll on a comedy connection soon. Uh, cool. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. I will be at the comedy connection tonight and tomorrow. And uh, any woman in a pickup truck who spits out after brushing her teeth in the... Why are you brushing your teeth in a pickup truck? Are you that? Do you have to save 19 seconds of the fucking country music concert that you can't just stand in your room or your hotel or wherever you are and just brush like a normal human being and wash your mouth out with water and do it the right way? Instead, you got to brush in a pickup truck and then spit out. And then when people look at you in disgust and horror, they're the dicks. Awful. Next one from James Russo. Paul, I saw a picture of you in Burt Master Square Garden. It looked like a great time. Congrats to both of you. You guys are the best. Okay. You know I'm a college student because of some other unacceptables I've submitted. Roommate, roommates that jerk off. Oh, uh, yeah. I think I remember that one. This semester, I'm rooming with a buddy of mine, but no friend is exempt from the laws of the unacceptable. I have a 9 a.m. class. Both of us wake up at 8. He grabs a first shower. I'm expecting him to be there uh, for 10 minutes tops. Paul, he was in there 30 minutes. What the hell? Really? Put him in a cage. Unacceptable. Yes, that's not a good roommate. That's a selfish roommate, and that's an indication of things to come. Okay? That means that if two hot girls come there at night, he's probably going to try to bang both of them, and he's going to expect you to not get any of them, and he'll act like, why didn't you fucking try to get the other one? Be careful of that guy. And yes, there's nothing worse than bad roommates. I, Me and Joe Bartnick were talking about this, and he loved the rule. We were in a room together. Uh, we had a couple of nights, uh, where we just were like, you know what, dude, we're not gonna, why spend another, you know, insane amount of money? We're at a nice hotel or whatever. It's like, I'll just share the room with you. And, uh, we're sitting there and I go, Joe, I love you. We get along. It's easy. The only, the only fucking thing I have to say is just don't, don't jerk off in the shower. And he just laughed and goes, you know what? That's a good rule. That's all I ask. If I ever share a hotel room with a friend, I don't give a fuck what you do. It's just don't jerk off in the shower. I don't care if you wash it off or clean it off, dude. I'm stepping in that shower. The last thing I fucking want to do is have a buddy's fucking residue of his from his fucking sperm. I just just fucking don't do it. And he was like, oh, absolutely. So uh, be careful. Uh, here we go. This one is from G. And it's an image. Oh, okay. It's an image of people coming in the garden. Hey, Paul, hope uh, you get the picture attached. My unacceptable is with the garden not opening the doors until 8.15 or so. The show is supposed to start at 8. And by the time I got in and got to my seat, Joe DeRosa was already halfway through his set. Uh, was upset I couldn't see you open. Unacceptable, but the show was fucking unreal. Burr had my face in pain, permanently smiling and laughing for an hour and a half straight. Uh, 
Great job to all you guys. It was a hell of a night. Can't wait to see you guys again. Thanks. Yeah. Um, there was a, I, I know we had to, we held it off. Like I said, the show was started probably about 8.25 and, um, you know, so yeah, man, I don't, I don't know what the hell happened there. Sorry about that, but, uh, it had to start, you know, and that just sucks, but I'm glad you got to see Bill's set and all that. All right, here we go. Matt Lockyer says, Hey Paul, the other night I was walking in a grocery store in my neighborhood when some animal rolls through a stop sign in front of me, I genu- I'm generally cool with this and walk uh, walk behind. But this time, I step in a giant puddle. I couldn't see because uh, of his massive fuck you SUV. I tap the back window with the back of my hand. He rolls down the window, and I say, "It's called a stop sign, buddy." The cross street, and he's now screaming at me. And I see him open his door, and he says, "I'm gonna kick your ass." Wow. I tell him I don't have time for this shit and continue on to the grocery store. I realize what I can to- uh what I did can totally piss somebody off, but I'm from Canada and not every animal on the road has a gun. Uh and in an animal-free world, this is where I should have uh, I should have ended. It should have ended. Unfortunately, he roars down the corner. Wow. What? He roars down to the corner and jumps out of his vehicle again. Tells me to stay right where I am. Holy shit. To which I reply, you want to assault me? Well, that's pl- uh, well. there's plenty of witnesses in here. And I go to the grocery, uh, and I go in the grocery store. I'm doing my shopping when guess who comes in barreling down the aisle. He pulls out his phone and dials 911. I ignore him and continue to check out. He blocks me from putting my groceries down. Wow. Uh... At the, at the till and raises uh, both arms and raises both arms crossed yelling, you're not fucking leaving. You fucking stay here, motherfucker. I can't. Jesus. I keep my cool. I told the cashier calmly, I'm sorry about this and I left my groceries and started to move to another exit. He grabs my arm, which I immediately, what, broke his hold and said, don't you fucking touch me again. This is harassment and assault. Wow. When I'm at the other exit, he blocks me from leaving again while he continues to scream into his phone at a 911 operator insisting they send an officer to arrest me for hitting his car. The manager and stock boys are all out now and think by his rage that uh, I hit his car with my own car. We are now threatened to both leave after he calls me a motherfucker for the 50th time. I keep my cool. I tell the manager I was a pedestrian and just slapped his window with the back of my hand to tell him he rolled uh, he rolled this stop. The manager and stock boys all immediately started laughing and tell him uh, that no cop is coming down here for that. Other patrons of the store start yelling at this guy, telling him to leave me alone, saying stuff like, uh, it's road rage assholes like you. Wow, so everybody started taking your side. Who make driving so dangerous. And this guy should be calling the cops on you, buddy. Wow, so that, that at least you had that. Uh, what you're doing is unlawful detainment. I hang around this animal in case any cops... Wait, I hang around this animal in case any cops are on their way. And he starts whining to 911 operator that I'm following him now. I project my voice into the phone and say, "This man is a psycho who grabbed, uh, who, 
who was grabbing and pushing me, refusing to let me leave the store. This animal can't get anything from 911 operator. No officers come down, and he slides out of the store. Um, wow, silently like a loser. I go back, get my groceries, and check out like a gentleman. I thank a few people, and someone offers me a ride home. Apologies for the long unacceptable, but had to get this off my chest. Cage the rage. Wow, dude, like that could have gotten to be a fucking news story that went really wrong because for a guy to, now look, when a bike guy touched my fucking thing, I just wanted to talk to him and be like, dude, get your hand, get your fucking hand off my thing and don't ever touch my car again. And I would have left it at that. Um, The fact that this guy pulled over and followed you into a grocery store is fucking nuts. And what I would do, dude, even though you stepped in a puddle, uh, some people can't be reasoned with. And, uh, you know, you had a little bit of rage yourself, you know. But I guess since the guy kind of rolled through a stop sign and you fucking got all wet and all that stuff, you're just kind of like, what the fuck? But, um, yeah, that's dangerous. I'd be careful with that because you never know, man. Think about how many times you probably passed somebody that killed somebody or some fucking nut job. The last thing you want to do is have some guy stalking you and coming after you. But uh, thank you for sharing. All right, a few more here, and uh, here we go. Brett Kurtz says, Hey, Paul, long-time listener to the podcast, first-time writing, would love to hear my unacceptable on the podcast. Well, here you go, Brett. Unacceptable. Uh, Splitting the check. I went out to lunch with some coworkers last week, which is uh, normally not a big deal. As of lately, I've been eating healthy and trying to spend less money, so I got a Caesar salad and a water. My, My other coworkers were getting appetizers to split which I made a point to not eat, and ordering multiple $6 beers. Uh, Everything seems fine in my head because I'm thinking my bill is only going to be $10 for lunch. Fast forward to the end of the lunch when the waitress comes back with the check and says, I just went ahead and split the bill six equal ways. Is that right? Without hesitation, they all say, oh, sure, yeah, no problem. Before I could even get a word out, to the uh, uh, to oppose the situation, uh, so now I'm stuck with a 20 plus bill for a goddamn salad and water. I said this to them. Uh, I said this to them. Paid my bill. Made them uh, pay the tip, and walked out. Unacceptable. Glad to see you killing a tour uh, with the boys. Gonna try to see you Friday in Providence. Brett from Boston. Well, yeah. Um, now here's the thing. This is a tricky one because a lot of times when a bunch of people go out, sometimes they just assume, all right, there's a bunch of us, we're all eating, fuck it. We'll just take our cards out and split it. However, they're eating and drinking and they should have, somebody should have been like, well, dude, you only had a salad, so why don't you just pay the tip? I think it all comes down to tact and people being aware and getting what the situation is in that moment. You know what I mean? That's what I think it is. Because I feel like if me and my buddies go out and I'm like not drinking and I just fucking grabbed like, you know, a side salad, I'm not going to be a dick and not pay. Like I'll split it, but I would think somebody would be like, well, we had like seven appetizers and four beers each and Paul had a fucking side salad and a water. He shouldn't. And the bill comes out to be like, you know, 89 bucks. 
it, it's like, hey, just you know what, you pay the tip because you didn't. That's that's what I think. That's what friends should do. Normally, I'll pay anything, but in your situation, it seems like they were beers and appetizers and a big bill, and you had nothing, and they were like, yeah, just do that. So I hear you on that one. Thank you, Brett. Uh, holy shit. So here we go. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. Uh, okay, this one is from Jason Burr. Dear Paul, uh, don't you hate it when you get gum on your shoe? This happened because some animal threw gum down on the ground uh, where people walk, right? Would you like to know who did that? Well, this Sunday in the NFL <laughs> caught on TV this unacceptable behavior uh, by not one but two head coaches, Pete Carroll and former Jaguars coach while playing against the Patriots. Led, lead by example, sir. Put trash in a trash can. Unacceptable. So wait a minute. So the Pete Carroll, I don't understand. Is, so this happened to you? This Sunday, uh, the NFL caught it on TV that uh, Pete Carroll... Oh, okay, so they're just throwing down their gum. Wow, dude, you got fucking attention to detail. Like, how did you even pick that up? Uh, <laughs> it's hilarious. Pete Carroll's always chewing gum and it annoys me. Thanks for the submission. Uh, this one is from Nick. Uh, here we go. Uh, hey, Paul, been a listener for about a year now, and this is my first submission i have two quick ones showing up at msg late and missing first half of your set unacceptable the reason we were late was because i had a friend in my group that was uh that has seriously sprained ankle you know what i know somebody that was on crutches and and showed up late too that's not the unacceptable part yet the unacceptable part is him getting absolutely hammered at the bar before he had to walk over not only was he gimpy was he the gimpy one of the group that we had to slow down for but now, me and my friends had to babysit him to make sure he didn't wander off the platform uh, and onto the subway tracks. Not the first issue we've had like this with that guy. Put him in a cage, though I'm sure he'd find a way to, uh, to do something unacceptable in there too. Well, you got to be careful. You got to be careful, dude, when you hang out with guys like that because that means it's gonna, it could always be an issue. Uh, what I what, what I did see of your act, though, was hilarious. Joe and Bill killed, too. Drove up from Pittsburgh to see it. Can't wait to see you next time you're in the Berg. Thank you, Nick. All right. Shit, man. These unacceptables are running long, but I know I've been late, so I'm trying to get these in for you guys because there's a couple of, uh, couple of more. But you know what? How about this? For you guys, I'll go longer. I'll go longer with the podcast. All right? For you guys because I was late. So we will definitely go into some overtime. And, uh, yeah, I want to talk about a movie, talk about some sports. So sit back, guys. Sit back. This is an extended version of the Verzi Effect podcast. You want to know why? Because you fucking guys deserve it. That's why. Okay? So uh, I will give you guys more. And uh, then you can't complain and go, Why the fuck the unacceptable so long, man? I want to fucking hear you talk. I want to hear about some guy, some guy's fucking taking a shit in a fuck. I take a shit. Everyone takes a shit. We get it. We got it. All right, just guys, just give these people a little bit of, uh, give these people a little bit of slack, man. They, they wrote in. I got to get to them. There's only a few more, and uh, there's a surprise one at the end. Okay, I'll leave you that cliffhanger. There's a surprise one at the end. All right, this one is from Greg Roselli. 
Paul, here's mine acceptable. When you go through the 12 items or less line at the grocery store, it means 12 items or less. I can't tell you how many times I play grocery roulette only to go through a line on NFL Sunday with a bag of chips and salsa only to get stuck behind these old hags with 30 items paying with the check and on top of that asking for a rain check on fucking yo <laughs> on yogurt it's absolutely unacceptable lock these old geezers up in a cage with their fucking checks for a lifetime it's only old people who pay with fucking check too i hope by the time you read this my patriots finally beat the giants dude i called it Greg, you and every other fucking Patriots fan were scared shitless, just like fucking Tom Brady was. You guys know how I feel about Tom Brady. I think he's the best ever. But fucking Patriots Nation, Bill Belichick, Brady, all you fucking dickheads had your tails between your legs and you were going, here we go again because the fucking G-men have your number. Bottom fucking line. If our fucking defensive back holds on to that interception, the game's over. If Beckham holds on to that touchdown, the game is over. You guys beat us by a point. Relax. All you fucking massholes thought that it was going to be a shit show beatdown, and it wasn't. However, I don't know why I got that mad, Greg. Uh, I appreciate your thing. You're right. Paying with a check, that's just, you know, from 1986, and they just can't stop doing it. Um, But uh, I will get into the Patriots and Giants game more. What a game. Uh, it's always a good game between the two teams, which makes it for a great uh, NFL Sunday game. And, um, yeah, I I know. You know, just look at it like this. Whenever you get mad at old people paying with checks and it takes long, just look at it like, you know what, they're, you know, they're winding down and uh, try to deal with it. But thank you for the submission. Uh, okay, this one is from Vermont uh, Jesum. I hope I'm saying that right. Or Chesum. Vermont Jesum. Hi, Paul. Norwegian fan here. Well, thank you for listening from such a far. Wondering how long you think a band, uh, a bandwagon must hitch a ride before turning into a real follower. Okay. Two years ago, I moved to Seattle to do an academic exchange program. Friends got me into the NFL, and I started following the Seahawks. This came naturally given my surroundings and growing passion for Seattle. Makes sense. Uh, After my year in the States, I kept following the Seahawks after I moved home. Uh, Even sat and watched my Seahawks lose a Super Bowl uh, 4.30 in the morning on a Monday in a shitty Irish pub in Copenhagen. What a good time. This year, I took their relationship to the next level and got the NFL season package. Keeping a close eye on teams I don't like as uh, as well as the uh, Seahawks, 49ers, Rams, etc. And never before have I had too much excitement on Sundays, almost catching a heart attack eight weekends in a row watching the Seahawks play. Okay. What kind of slack would you give a foreign bandwagon jumping the NFL train? Does a bandwagoner have to have a chance to redeem him or herself as a true fan? Uh, Are there teams that are more prone to bandwagoners, like Manchester United, uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, are popular to foreigners when it comes to soccer? And what is the situation in New York? Uh, Are there areas within the city which it should be unacceptable to be a Giants or Jets fan. Love your album, especially the bit about your son acting like a black woman at a funeral. Keep up the funny Vermont. Well, thank you. Um, I would say this. If you are a... 
you know, it depends. Like if you like, like, could you imagine you guys have listened to my podcast for a long time? Could you imagine you guys know how much I love the Knicks? Uh, love the Knicks, love Madison Square Garden, love Patrick Ewing, watched them like crazy. Could you imagine if one day I was just like, you know what, fuck it, dude. I went to a Wizards game and I'm a Wizards fan. You guys would be like, what the fuck? So I think uh, my question is this. If you move to a place where you're putting kind of shit behind you and all of a sudden you start following a team and you love them, there's nothing wrong with liking two teams or maybe even switch and say, now I like this team more. But to totally be like, I'm done with that team, I just don't know. And to answer your question about where you are in New York, I think this goes for Chicago, anywhere. I just think there's certain, I think it comes down to what your father and grandfather liked. Because you're either going to be a dickhead son or daughter and go against your father or grandfather or you're going to be like, oh, my dad and granddad are the shit and they would want me always to be a fan of this team and you're a fan of that team. There's a ton of Giants fans who live in Queens and there's probably a ton of Jets fans who live in Queens. Uh, same thing with Manhattan and all the boroughs. So I don't think it matters. I don't think being a ban- I mean, plus, if you're a foreigner who never knew the sport and then you come here and you start liking one because you just got to a place but then you get, you know, you open your... You open up to this bigger, or oh my god, I got the NFL package. Actually, I like this team now. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, you know. So it, it just go. I think it depends on the situation. Thank you for the submission. Uh, okay, guys, a couple more, and this one's really short. This one is from Christopher. Uh, manager lady has her kid. Manager lady has her kid sitting uh, at one table, telling her to keep coloring in her coloring book. All the while, she's interviewing some high school kid for a job at another table. Who's kidding who? Eating at McDonald's sober is unacceptable. <laughs> Double cheese, like, uh, and the thing is McDonald's order. Double cheese in like four cages. That's funny. Thank you, Christopher, for the submission. All right, here we go. We have one more, and then we have the main event of unacceptables. Okay? Uh, I think you guys know who's coming. I think you guys know who's on deck. Uh, Mike Kelly says, talking to Comcast, trying to get my cable fixed, but Comcast representative has a thick foreign accent, and I can't understand what he is saying. Thank you, Mike. That is awesome. You're absolutely right. There's nothing fucking worse than when you're trying to talk, and they're looking at you like, I don't understand. It's like, no, you don't understand because you're talking a fucking other language right now. That's why. Okay? But guess what? I live in America, and my cable is here in America, in my home. My cable box is fucked up. I don't know where the fuck you are, why you talk like that. So you're absolutely right. Thank you for the submission, Mike Kelly. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Last one of the day. And uh, it is long. But it is from the one they call the Shakespeare of shit. Oh, yes. I know some of you are getting excited. Are you in your car? Are you in your cubicle? Are you ready for a Kelly Meyer submission? Because I am. And what a way to end it with the Kelly Meyer submission. There were too many t uh, tweets that came in, so I don't think there's any on Twitter. I will check real quick, but don't worry. I'm going to overtime with you guys. You'll be fine. But here we go. The Shakespeare of shit. The poetic talks. The elegance of the pooping talk of Kelly Meyer. We have an IBS submission from Kelly Meyer. Here we go. I wish I could play some fucking, you know, fucking Mozart in the back. Hey, Paul. This is from Kelly. Hey, Paul. 
First things first, happy birthday. Hope you had a good one. Well, thank you. Here it is. Um, I was in Dallas the night of your show in Milwaukee, and needless to say, I was pretty pissed off about having to miss the show, so I figured I would do my best to have a good time that evening since I was missing all the fun back home. Well, it was an amazing show in Milwaukee. Milwaukee delivered on such a high level. My coworkers and I walked a mile or so um, from the Fairmont Hotel to the Nickel and Rye Bar and Restaurant where we ate dinner. Before eating, we had some drinks, but I had barely eaten anything all day. Oh, boy. So it only took three double bourbons for me to get pretty lit. And like most people, when I'm drunk, I suffer from delusions of grandeur. So when I looked at the menu, I didn't think twice when I saw fried chicken and waffles along with a side of jalapeno mac and cheese. Oh, boy. I ordered that shit up with the confidence of an NFL quarterback playing in a Pop Warner football game. That's awesome. The food came, and it was delicious. I drenched the waffles in syrup. What is wrong with you? And fucked the chicken up (laughs) with mad hot sauce. I even ordered a fried egg to go along with it. Not surprisingly, my IBS... <laughs> my IBS acted up very shortly after I finished eating. So I went to the bathroom and took a monster dump before we left. Being as drunk as I was, I thought to myself, yeah, I'm probably done shitting for the night. <laughs> but as the Beastie Boys said in Paul Revere, you think this story's over, <laughs> but it's ready to begin. Uh, as we walked back to the hotel, it hit me. I felt like a, a rabid badger had covered himself in lava, climbed inside of me, and was furiously furiously trying to make his way out through my asshole. I had to alter my... (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to alter my stride to account for the the ass clenching, and and people noticed... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> These are the great, just the, the way you said I had to alter my stride to the account, uh, to account for the ass clenching and people noticed. Uh, a couple pointed and laughed. <laughs> I had not been concentrating so hard. <laughs> had I not been concentrating so hard on locking it up, I might have told them to fuck off. Luckily, a little more than halfway back to the hotel, there was some sort of Asian music arts festival going on at uh, Clyde Warren Park, and they had a porter potty there. Seeing that mobile shitter was <laughs> picturesque, like the like that moment in the movie where all hope is lost, and then out of nowhere, the good guy arrives to save the fucking day. I broke in <laughs> into a full sprint. Uh, I farted with each stride. <laughs> I farted with each stride. <laughs> There's no way anybody could write it better. Uh, and it was only by sheer willpower that the beast didn't leak out of me uh, as I ran. I was about 20 yards from the shitter when I saw an older woman walking in that direction. No fucking way are you beating me to that toilet, Grandma. I said out loud. As she reached out for the door, I slammed full speed into the shitter and for a second thought it might tip over. I yelled sorry and pulled the door shut behind me. 
I didn't even fuck with my belt. I just pushed my pants down hard and bent over facing away from the toilet. As soon as my pants were clear... (laughs) (laughs) Ah, As soon as my pants were clear of the blast site, I released. I was standing... Uh, but bending over and moving into sitting position as my ass hanging over the toilet seat. As my ass was hanging over, uh, as with my ass hanging over the toilet seat, I'm sorry. I didn't know how I realized it because uh, I was fully panicked and drunk, but I didn't hear the shit dropping, oh God, no, to the bottom oh, of the reservoir. I crammed my neck around just before my ass hit the seat and saw that the lid was down. <laughs> that the lid, oh my God, that the lid was down. I was shitting onto a closed toilet seat lid. Ah, <laughs> uh, put yourself in my shoes for a second. What the fuck do you do? You're literally destroying this porter potty with every passing second. You can't stop because the ship has sailed. You can't turn around and lift the lid because you're in a porter uh, you're in a portable toilet with no real facilities to wash your hands. So I just kept going, but uh, by some miracle, it all stayed on the platform. Oh my God, really? Uh, by the toilet seat. So I hadn't gotten any splash back on my pants or shoes. When I finally finished the absolute <laughs> desecration of this porter. Desecration uh, of this uh, portable toilet. I turned around to survey the damage. There are no words, Paul. There are no words to describe the pure, unadulterated carnage before me. I wrapped my entire arm uh, in toilet paper. Oh, my God. And lifted the lid. Then I wiped my ass as best I could while standing up... uh, Oh, and deposited the TP into the toilet. I soaked my hands and forearms in the supplied sanitizer. This, oh my God, dude. This all happened over the course of two minutes. So I was surprised when I stepped out to see a few people waiting, including the older Asian woman who I had really pissed off, uh, who had a really pissed off look on her face. One of my coworkers <laughs> stuck around to walk back with me. I looked at the line of people, then looked at him, then looked back at the line and just said, um, we got to go now. <laughs> I sped walked away as the old woman stepped into the porter, John, and heard her yell something from inside. I increased my pace to a jog and looked back to see the old woman step back out of the toilet, shaking her fist at me and screaming uh, what I figured to be... <laughs> Mandarin Chinese. My coworker ran to catch up with me and asked, "What did you do in there?" I replied, "What? <laughs> what did I do in there?" I said, "Goodbye to the last remaining shred of self-respect is what I did in there. Apparently, I don't need a cage. Just lock me in in a porta potty, and make me sit in my own filth. Unacceptable." Oh my God, dude. Oh, my God. Hope you had a great show at the Garden this weekend. It must be cool to be in New York native, getting to share your crib. That's such an ironic venue. Dude. Ah. Kelly, you delivered again. You delivered again. The fact that you threw the seat down, like you didn't even throw the seat up and you just shit all over the seat is unbelievable. 
Uh, thank you so much for this submission. That was fucking hilarious. Thank all of you guys for the submissions. Don't worry. I'm going into overtime. We got more stuff to talk about. Just giving you guys a long one. You want to know why? Because you deserve it. Um, wow. Wow. The way you describe, like, the strides and all that stuff. Um, there really is no Facebook. Uh, it was just too much uh, tweets came in with... Uh, you know, the garden show and some shows I'm doing this weekend. So I'm sorry. Do me a favor. Please resend any unacceptable that you have. And, um, I will definitely be, uh, more than happy to read it on the, uh, on the next one. Okay. You guys are the best. And please send those over to unacceptables for TVE at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for that. And, uh, now we will continue to uh, to talk here. You guys listen to the Verzi Effect with me, your host, Paul Verzi, on TVE episode 234. Um, so I did see a movie. I saw the Charlie Brown movie with my kids, and um, I liked it. I didn't love it and go nuts for it. My I knew it wasn't great because my daughter... My daughter's very patient for a three-year-old. She watches stuff, but she kind of just kept going. Is it is it done? Is it done? It was it was okay. I liked Hotel Transylvania two better. Um, I really enjoyed that for some reason. I don't know why. Um, you know, I don't know why I didn't like Charlie Brown that much. I just it was good. Don't get me wrong, it was good, but it was just kind of just like a long like episode of it. I don't know. I don't know. My son liked it more than my daughter, but I could tell, you know, he didn't love it. Um, so that's it. But it, w- it, w- it was cool to see. But um, that Peppermint Patty chick, I never realized how, like, a dude she was. You know? Like, she's, like, the type, like, she's, like, the chick that would, like, come over to your house and, like, smoke weed and play video games with you. And I never really noticed that growing up. But now I'm just, like, yeah, she's just, like, the fucking... You know, she likes to smoke. I, I just took that from the movie. I was like, Peppermint Patty is just a chick that, like, she'll smoke weed with you. And, like, you know, if she liked you, she'd hook up with you and just smoke weed with you. But then, like, she'd, like, let you just stay friends with her. I, I felt like that. Uh, I know that's a weird thing to take from the movie. But I just I just felt like Peppermint Patty was, like, cool. Where you could just call her up, like, a day after you hook up with her and be like, yeah, I just need to fucking, you know, talk and smoke weed. And she'd be, like, over and, like, pick you up. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, this is fucking weird. Everything else was, you know, that, um, you know, and the, the dirty kid, I just don't know why the kid's still dirty. It's like, they all accept it. Like, you would never accept that with your friend. Like, if one of your friends is like that, you'd be like, dude, we, I can't hang out with you. Like, I can't, I can't fucking, you got a cloud of smoke, like, you got a cloud of dirt around you, dude. You got to clean your, like, you know, um, but then I do have to realize that it's a cartoon and I'm acting ridiculous. So that's the only movie that I saw. But I cannot wait for two movies, everybody. I can't wait for Creed. I'm going to see Creed. Creed and um, what else? And, of course, Star Wars. By the way, uh, one thing we did at Madison Square Garden was we, uh, before I brought Bill up on stage, I said to the crowd, I said, you know, as you guys know, Bill Burr has an animated series coming out that premieres December 18th on Netflix called F is for Family. And, um, and it was, uh, awesome because, uh, I got to say, Hey guys, nobody ever has seen any footage or any trailer 
But uh, you guys will be the first if you want to. You guys want to see the first trailer ever for it. And the place went nuts. And then they actually showed like a four or five minute clip of it. Place went nuts. It looks so funny. It looks, it's finally like real TV. It's edgy. It's it's awesome. It takes place kind of like in the 70s. And, you know, like, and you could get more away with more animated stuff. So, like, it, it's just so awesome. And, um, you know, Burr stars in it. And it's so cool. Justin Long and all these guys, they were at the show too. Um, yeah, and uh, it, it looks really good. So please check out Bill Burr's F is for Family. It premieres December 18th on Netflix, and it's going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, oh, we're doing good with no sirens, and then there we go. Hear that? Give you guys a little city feel. Even though I'm not in New York, I'm in fucking Providence. I didn't think I'd hear that here, but... Uh, well, that's dumb to say. Like, they don't have fucking cops here. Um, oh, by the way, I want to thank uh, Opie and uh, Jimmy... For putting me on the Opie and Jimmy show the Monday after the Garden, uh, Opie was in the front row with his producer, and uh, they loved my set, and um, they invited me into the show, and it was great. And the funny thing about it was, I don't know if anybody heard it, but it was fucking so funny because I was having a good conversation on the show, and everything was awesome, and we were talking about Scientology, and Andy Cohen, the guy who does the Real Housewives, and then the recap of the Real Housewives, he comes in. And they were asking me about the garden, and we were talking about Scientology, and we're having fun. And my buddy Pete Davidson from SNL, he was in the studio, and we're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I know my wife is listening. And my wife is cool, but, like, there are certain things that I just can't fucking do, you know. Nor do I want to do them. I don't want to be put in a situation like that. But, like, two porn stars come in, and, like, A-list porn stars. It was, like, I think it was, uh, it was, who was it? It was it was Alexis Texas and Nikki Benz. And they come in the studio, and they're, like, sitting next to me. They're in between me and Jim Norton. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden they're going, well, it's Pete Davidson's birthday. Why don't you let him touch your ass? Come on, touch, let him touch your ass. Show your tits. You know, like, whatever. I'd love to see him. And so, like, the girl walks over to Pete and touches the ass, and then Jim, and I'm just going, dude, I can't fucking do this. My wife is listening, A, but I'm, I'm not into this. Like, that's not my thing anyway. It wasn't because my wife was listening. It was just fucking weird, like, to do that. So I literally just shut down. I was like, I can't. I'm, like, looking at my phone, and I'm just like, and I've, like, part of me felt bad, but the other part is, listen, it's going to be a lot worse, you know, if I fucking do something like that. And, uh, and then they were joking. They go, I think Verzi, Verzi left. And they were just like, yeah, Verzi's a family man just looking at his phone. And, like, it was a joke about it. But I told the guys, too, I was like, hey, man, I'm sorry in that last segment. I was quiet. I just, I can't fucking, you know, I can't fucking start touching porn stars. Like, I got kid, like I just fucking can't. And they totally got it. But it was pretty funny. And the, the funniest part about it was the look on Pete Davidson's face. It was his 20... It was his 22nd birthday. Shout out to Pete Davidson. His 22nd birthday was four days ago. And we're in the studio at the radio. And these two porn stars walk in. And Pete looked like... The look on his face was almost if he found out that Santa Claus was real. And then Santa Claus shook his hand and handed him like his favorite thing ever. He just couldn't fucking comprehend that Alexis Texas and Nikki Benz were sitting there. And he's just looking. And the whole time I'm just looking over at him. And he's looking at me with this little kid like, oh my God. Like, you remember the first bike you ever got or the first video game system? And you just like opened it and you couldn't fucking believe it? That's what it was like watching Pete look at these two porn stars. It was so fucking funny. And he was just like, ah, hey, yeah. And oh, I wish people could have just saw the look on his face when they walked in the room. It was fucking 
so 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 much uh, fun to watch that. But shout out to Opie and Jimmy. Uh, I had a great time on the show, and those guys were great. And it was amazing to have those guys come out to the show and say the nice things and the kind things that they said about the show. So um, what else do we have to talk about? Let's see where we are right now. We are at ah, minute 15. We got some time. Got some time. You guys are getting a long episode. Uh, 2.34. Uh, all right, we got to talk about this. I think it is now safe to say that my dude, I called it, I don't want to jinx anything, but Przingis, Kristaps Przingis is the guy. He's the guy. I'm not going to say Dirk Nowitzki yet, but come on, guys. The other day, 29 points, 11 rebounds. Teammates love him. All the legends like Patrick U and them are saying he's a force to be reckoned with. Guys, sit a seven foot three with a fucking wet three point jumper. I love it. And I gotta say, the Knicks are actually fun team to watch. Listen, are they gonna win? No. Are they gonna win a title this year? No. Are they gonna go to the playoffs this year? Maybe, as of like a seven or eight seed, maybe a six seed, maybe. But like you know, that's yet to be determined. You gotta see everybody stays healthy, but. Carmelo doesn't have to be the focal point. I like. I actually looked at Carmelo Anthony, and I said, I think he likes the fact that it's not all him because it lets him be him without, like, everything on his shoulders. The crowd's chanting, Prozingis, Prozingis. It's so cool to see that we actually have a guy. So now, hopefully, this can lure a free agent over to the New York team, to the New York market, when maybe they didn't want to come because of losing. Now... Holy shit, you get another guy here, and then you got three monsters on the court. Start getting a deeper bench, and you can maybe make a run. So I'm excited about my Knicks again. Um, From 17 wins, I think they're going to definitely do better than that. So that's cool. All right, let's get back to this Giants game. I am glad this Giants game happened, and here's why. Because even at the Garden the night before the Giants game, I was talking to people from Massachusetts going, we're going to kick the shit out of you. Part of me was like, you might, but the other part of me was like, wait a minute. We're at MetLife State. Where were the Giants play? If you look at the records, Eli always has good games. And how about Eli Manning? Three touchdowns, 366 yards, and zero picks, and he lost. Eli Manning, the only guy ever, six touchdown passes, zero interceptions, and still lost a game. Only guy ever, he did that against the Saints in that 56-40-something to 40-something, uh, game. That was, yeah, it was almost like 100 points scored in the game. So Eli looked good, but what I loved, this is what I loved about it. The beautiful thing is the New England Patriots and their fan base. Yes, if you're listening, you. And just take it. Take it like the porn stars take it. You know we put the fear of God in you. Okay, I know Patriot fans going, I think you guys might beat us in a Super Bowl again. Now, here's the thing. That will never happen with the Giants because the Giants' defensive backs just are not good enough to to have that happen. The Giants' defensive backs are just seriously not good enough to go to a Super Bowl, I don't think. Something would have to drastically change. Um, Our running game is better than I thought. Our uh, O-line totally improved. And uh, is is way better than it was last year. I, I thought it would take a little longer for them to click, but they seem like they're protecting Eli. He's having a great year. So it's the defensive backs. It's also a shame the Cruz is out and JPP's nursing at hand. Other than that, the New York football giants put the fear of God 
into the Patriots. And I saw Tom Brady sitting on the bench, and he had to look like, what the fuck is it with this team that we can't beat them? They're going to beat us again. And it sucks because, like I said, number 21 dropped an interception. That can't happen, but they say that's why those guys aren't wide receivers. And Beckham. Now listen, I'm not mad at the call with Beckham because, unfortunately, that is the rule, but the rule sucks. When it happened to Des Bryant, I was like, no, that's the rule. And they're like, no, you're just hating because he's a cowboy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not hating because he's a cowboy. That's the rule. The Giants, that's the rule. It sucks for us, but that's the rule. That rule needs to be changed. The rule needs to say if the guy catches the ball and two feet go down, that's it. It's a touchdown. I don't care how long he's got to fuck. If the two feet go down and you catch the ball, touchdown. Game over. I don't give a fuck who it is, what team. Doesn't make any sense to me. It's like the guy did his job. The ball was thrown, it went into his hands, and both feet were down. Then if it gets stripped out or it pops out when he hits the ground, that, that's a touchdown. Because it's almost different with the running game. If you notice, when the running game, when a guy's running from like the five or the one yard line, as soon as the ball crosses the plane, it's a touchdown even if it gets knocked out. So it almost should be the same thing. If the guy catches the ball and it's in his two hands, and both feet are down, that's a touchdown. Now, I understand if he's bobbling it and he ever had control, but that wasn't the case with the Beckham play. The Beckham play was he has control of the ball, both feet go down, and then the guy slaps it out. That's a touchdown. It should be a touchdown. I need to change the rule. But do not get confused, New England Patriot fans. We had that game. We should have won that game. We didn't. You won by one. I give it to you. The New York Giants are your arch nemesis. And I love the fact that you know there's a good chance you're going to lose or there is a chance you're going to lose when you play us. So let's calm down because a lot of you, oh, are you ready for that beating? You guys ready for that fucking Patriots beating this Sunday? Because we're not going to go. Yeah, no, I wasn't. You guys won at the very, very fucking end and got lucky two times. How do you like that, Patriot fans? Anyway, come out to see me this weekend at the, uh, <laughs> at the Providence Comedy Connection. I will be at the uh, Providence Comedy Connection this week. And tonight, 8 o'clock, tomorrow, 8 and 10. It should be great. I heard the numbers are great, so there's going to be people coming out. So come out. It should be a lot of fun. Um, half of my material should be new and things you haven't heard. Um, but I was here not long ago, so and I released an album. So I'm trying, I'm trying my best to give you guys new stuff. <laughs> um, that is pretty much it, guys. Uh, I... I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. I will talk to you guys before Thanksgiving. Um, if by some reason I don't, but I will. But happy Thanksgiving if I don't, but I will because I'll be home and I'm off. So I could say this. There would probably be no excuse unless something, you know, happened or I couldn't. But um, that is pretty much it. As far as plugs, um, I'm here this weekend, 8 tonight, 8 and 10 tomorrow. Providence, Rhode Island Comedy Connection. Come out. Um, and then I'm doing some stuff in the city, but December 9th, December 9th, me and Joe Bartnick will be co-headlining the Flamingo Theater in Miami. So get tickets to that Flamingo Theater, Miami, myself and Joe Bartnick will be there. Um, on December 12th, I will be performing for, uh, the, uh, at the Naval Academy at Annapolis, for the military, the Navy, uh, but I don't think that that's open to the public. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. 
And then, of course, on New Year's Eve, the Four Horsemen show at the Orpheum in Los Angeles. Myself, Bill Burr, Jason Lawhead, and Joe Bartnick. So please check that out, too, if you're over there. Um, And that's it for the show. This has been uh, TVE episode 234. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Until uh, next week, uh, episode, uh, which would be episode 235. I will talk to you guys then. Thank you so much and take care.